Well, church, welcome to Christmas at Northview. We are thrilled that you are joining us, and uh, we are just honored that you would carve out time in your calendar, that you would brave the elements, and that you would be here for Christmas at Northview. This is a family service for grandparents, parents, as well as, as the kids, right, Press? And this is my family with me, and I've asked them to help me tell the story. This is my wife, Kristen, daughter, Riley, son, Cannon, Miles, and Presley, and we are going to read out of Luke chapter two. So Riley Kay, take it away. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Carinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and line of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that has caused great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Come on. Before service, my boys were like, yeah, we're going to go no notes off the memory. That's pretty impressive. Okay, Presley, what do you think we should do with this news? Get carrying on the mountain over Well, babe, do you want to open us in prayer? Yes. Well, Merry Christmas, Northview. We are so excited that you are here with us. If you are visiting, we are one church at 13 locations, and we know you can be a lot of places tonight, so we are so thankful you're with us. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, thank you so much for what this season represents. Lord, I know a lot of us have come in um, to this campus and all across the campus is carrying different things. We have gifts and meals and family and just a lot of things taking place this holiday season. But I pray as we are here in your house that we quiet our soul and remind ourselves what we are celebrating and who we are celebrating. Be with my husband as he's prepared a wonderful message. Help it to fall on good soil. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Church, can you give it up for my family? <laughs> Amazing. To all my, my parents in the room who have kids seated next to them, don't you feel like a little bit of anxiety of like everybody just hold it together? But my goodness, we are excited for you to join us. And anyone just love Christmas? Show a noise if you just love Christmas. Yeah. This is a big deal. And it's more than just a holiday. Folks, this is a holy day. 
What we celebrate today represents the moment in time in which our God split the skies. And he sent his one and only son on a rescue mission. In fact, a solo mission to redeem and to save all of humanity. This is an amazing moment in time. In fact, I believe what we're gonna look at today is the greatest story, the life and the legacy of Jesus Christ, the greatest story ever told. It makes me think about a time growing up, they had uh, started introducing high-definition channels. Anyone remember this? And so you could pay extra in your cable package and you could get channels in HD, which meant as you would go through the guide, there would be like ESPN and then ESPN HD. And I would get frustrated because I would come in the room and my dad would be watching the game and the players would be running across the field looking like Legos. And I would say, Dad, don't you realize we now have HD? You can see this with better clarity in higher definition. And folks, I believe many, in fact, some of you, are viewing the Christmas story incorrectly. And my prayer is maybe you would walk away from this service seeing it with greater clarity and in higher definition. This is an amazing story. And I love how it begins because Jesus shows up on the scene and a declaration goes forward. There's an announcement. Angels make their way into the region and who do they go to first? Some shepherds who are individuals living on the fringe. Individuals who are considered social outcasts. In fact, individuals who are categorized as ceremonially unclean by the religious institution. They would work daily and they would have to be hands-on with animals and so they were not allowed to practice religious you know, rituals. And here, day one, out the gate, Jesus shows up and the very first thing he does is get on the inside with outsiders. Man, I love that. Day one, Jesus gets on the inside with outsiders, and what I love about that is that's an encouragement to every single one of us. If there's a club for perfect people, I don't make the cut. And from the looks of this group, neither does your neighbor. Which is okay, you can laugh in church. If you find that hard, your halo might be too tight. Just relax, this is gonna be a good time. But he gets on the inside with outsiders and he shows up and there's this announcement. And what is the announcement? I bring to you good news that will cause great joy. In other words, joy isn't something you and I have to develop, joy is something Jesus delivered. And why does this create joy? Well, they make an announcement and this is what they say today. In the town of David, look at these three identity statements. A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now this is a story about a pregnant woman and this is a pregnant sentence. There's a lot going on here because I believe who you are determines what you do. In other words, your identity shapes your activity. So in this sentence, we find these three titles, savior, Messiah and Lord. And so they, they rush to the city to see this new God that has arrived. And nobody saw this coming. 
Nobody in pictured God like this. In fact, none of us would ever create a God like this. I mean, if you and I were to create a God, he would show up looking like this. He would show up fully mature and muscular. He'd have nice flow and a cool costume. He would definitely have a cape. He'd have some gnarly weapons and he would hold lightning bolts in his hand. And he would hit earth like a meteor. Boom, I'm here. We wouldn't create a God who shows up as an infant, humble. And that is what actually happened. This is a fascinating story. But we as Christians, we would lose credibility with our non-believing friends and peers if we didn't acknowledge the uniqueness of this story. In fact, let's just, let's just be really authentic. Out the gate, this seems like a terrible plan. I mean, if you were going to redeem the world, save humanity, how would you do it? God sits back and says, I'm gonna send my one and only son on a solo mission as an infant, born to teenage parents, living in poverty, in an undeveloped time of history in a remote village. It's as if God is stacking the odds against himself, which makes me think of a time growing up, my brother, who was a few years older than I am and much cockier than me on the basketball court, which is pretty impressive. We would go to this playground near our house and we would play pickup games and my brother started doing this thing where he would be one of the captains picking his team. Remember that whole awkward scenario on the playground? And what he would do is he would purposely pick the worst players. I'm gonna take these three bums and my little brother and we're gonna beat you guys. And essentially it was kind of like a dig to his opponents. I'm going to make it very clear I'm the best player out here. And I think God shows up, stacks all the odds against himself to make it very clear, there's nobody like my son. You just give it time and 2,000 years later, we will all stand back in amazement. Wow, look at what this Jesus accomplished. And here's the deal, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you subscribe to another religion or you believe what we believe, it does not matter. We all have to agree on one thing. Nobody, nobody has left a bigger impact on the world than Jesus Christ. There's not a single individual who has left a bigger legacy, drawn more followers, more books have been written about him, more songs have been sung about him. This legacy has touched down on every continent around the world and still is vibrant and growing 2,000 years later. This guy's pretty impressive. He's not a mythical legend. He's not some character in a story. He's certainly not a fairy tale figure. He is a real person, and his name is Jesus. And my goodness, I pray that some of you will discover him for the first time. And I get it, there will be those who look at what we celebrate and they will think to themselves, well, this whole thing is just kind of weird. What you Christians believe, well, that's strange. And I would agree, there's some things in our story that are a little strange. Virgin birth, kid born in a barn, surrounded by the cast from Charlotte's Web. This is a strange story. 
But I would argue that orienting your life and your schedule, cashing in on all your PTO and spending thousands of dollars all to celebrate something you don't believe in. Well, I'd argue that's even stranger than what we're doing. I mean, I love this. Jesus is so cool, he even allows people who don't like him or believe in him to be a part of his birthday. It's amazing. It makes me think of all these things in our culture, things like Black Friday. This is an accounting term. It's an economic term. Essentially what it implies is most businesses, especially retail businesses, you know, they operate in the red the majority of the year. And it is not until the Christmas season that they go from being into the red to operating in the black. That's Black Friday. I mean, Jesus is so cool. Come to find out, he not only saves lives, apparently he saves companies. It's a big deal. And in this statement, we get these, these titles. You should know who it is we're celebrating. And the first is this title of Christ, which is a title of access. All throughout the ages, hundreds of years on end, there were prophecies and foretellings and predictions and anticipation and preparation for a coming Messiah, essentially an anointed one, the chosen one. And what were they coming to do? To bridge the gap between humanity and God. And Jesus shows up on the scene in an unexpected fashion and in some brilliant, creative way, takes two pieces of wood in the form of a cross, and he bridges the gap between us and God. We now have access to our Heavenly Father. And some of you, you're slugging it out on your own, trying to develop your own strength, trying to manufacture your own peace and joy, trying to develop your own purpose and identity, and you are failing to take advantage of the access that we now have because of Jesus Christ. The, the next title is this title of Lord. It's a title of authority, which every single one of us look, looks at the, the madness and the, the chaos of our world. And every single one of us asks questions similar to, who's in charge here? Are they trustworthy? Is this going to end well? And the Christian hope rests in the fact that our God is seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and he rules and he reigns, and his will is coming to pass, and he is weaving his redemptive purpose in and through the world. And even when we get it wrong, despite our brokenness, he still gets it right. See, where we get tripped up is he doesn't rule the way we want him to rule. Or he doesn't rule the way we've seen others rule. Our God doesn't rule by brute force. You can find that type of leadership on every continent. Our God rules with sovereign love. This is amazing. He's in control, he's Lord, and we have anchored our allegiance to him. And then lastly, there's this title, Savior which is the title of acceptance. Jesus shows up on the scene to draw those into a relationship with him also that he can save them. And he says, hey, that one over there with the anger issues, I'll take them. Even though they've got some integrity issues, I'll take them. 
Those ones who struggle with gossip and slander, eh, I'll take them. The ones who are reckless and hateful, eh, I'll still take them. And he comes accepting us as we are. This is why I love the fact that he was born in the stable. Had he been born in a palace, that would have created some obstacles. Had he been born in a palace, you would have had to have some status, know some people. You would have had to get your act together, get dressed up, also that maybe you would have the privilege to enter his presence. But my goodness, if the kid's born in the barn, well, anybody can visit. And you can just come as you are. And so he shows up accepting each and every one of us as we are. And this is amazing because Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all your shortcomings, all your imperfections, all the thoughts that torment your mind and all the feelings that stir within your heart. And the one who knows you the best loves you the most. It makes me think of this story. Navy SEALs were sent in on an operation. Essentially what happened is they found out that a group of women and children were being held against their will as hostages. So they find out the location of this facility and in the middle of the night, they send in these Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs break into the facility and they come rushing into the room where all these women and children are. And they begin to rush them. Come on, let's go. We gotta move. Hurry everybody up on your feet. Follow us out these doors. We gotta go. We don't have a lot of time. Move, 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 move. And it became apparent pretty quickly there was a language barrier. The women and children did not understand English. All they could see were helmets and goggles and lights being flashed in their face and guns. So the women started to panic. One of the seals had the intuition, could see what was happening. So he takes off his helmet and he takes off his goggles and he lays his flashlight on the ground and he drops his weapon and he sits between two women on the floor and he wraps his wrist in chains. And in that moment, they realize they're on our side. The women, the children stood to their feet and were all escorted safely to freedom. How'd they do it? Because one seal recognized, if I'm gonna save them, I'm gonna have to become like them. The fact that Jesus shows up as an infant is amazing. I mean, he becomes like us in our most fundamental form. In our infancy, he knows what it's like to live in this world. And he shows up and he becomes like us. And why? The only logical answer is he becomes like us. Also, we might accept the invitation to become like him. This, my goodness, is a wonderful story. This is an amazing story. Or is it? I don't know about you, but I'm hyper-analytical. I tend to stare at things too long and overanalyze them. Recently, I was watching a movie with my kids, and at the end, they're like, oh, I love this movie. It's such a good movie. And here was the movie. The princess and the frog. Dad, this is a good movie. And I found myself thinking, but is it? I mean, this is a great story. If you're the frog, 
in the end, you kiss a princess. But this is a terrible story if you're the princess because in the end, you kiss a frog. And what I love about our God is he's ambidextrous. He can write with both his left hand and his right hand. In fact, he can do so at the same time. And so as he's penning the story of Jesus, simultaneously, he's penning the story of our lives. And yes, this is an amazing story for us. But this is a terrible story for Jesus. Look, look at these details. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, meaning everybody, men, women, children, the young, the old, the rich, the poor, everybody should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now pause for a second, because some of you still think, hey, this is some scam, it's a hoax. Not the case. If you're trying to dupe humanity and trick everyone, you don't include details like this. You don't say, hey, it was when Caesar Augustus was in charge and it was his decree. And it was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Because here's the thing. Any wise person among you who does their own due diligence would immediately go and look into those things. If you are trying to trick humanity, you don't include cold, hard facts. But here's the crazy thing. When does this decree come out? when Mary was nine months pregnant. And what have the last nine months been like for her? Terrible. This girl is now pregnant. And what's her claim? I'm pregnant as a result of the Holy Spirit. Even the righteous among us would have a hard time with that narrative. So immediately, she was shamed, ostracized, ridiculed, rumors and gossip and slander. The past nine months for Mary were terrible. And now she's about to give birth. Contractions are setting in. She is in the final hour of her pregnancy. And here comes Caesar Augustus sending out a decree. Everybody has to return to their home of origin, which meant for Joseph and Mary they had to make a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 90 miles on rocky terrain, either on foot or maybe on a donkey, which, ladies, if you're nine months pregnant, is either a good option. And here's the thing. When Mary and Joseph were making their way to Bethlehem, who else was making their way to Bethlehem. Again, everybody had to return to their home of origin. Meaning, when Mary and Joseph set out for Bethlehem, so did grandma and grandpa. So did mom and dad. Siblings, aunties and uncles. Cousins, meaning when Mary and Joseph show up to Bethlehem, their entire family is in town. And you're telling me these two kids who are about to have a kid 
have no place to stay? This is a terrible story if you're Jesus. I mean, this is the great paradox. Jesus shows up and doesn't have a family to belong to. And in some way, simultaneously, provides you and I a family to belong to. A homeless child provides every child a home. <laughs> this is amazing. And this is what he's done on our behalf. And my question for you is if Jesus truly is who he says he is, is he, if he's the Lord of your life and he's paid the ultimate price and has had a tremendous impact on your life, well, how would you actually celebrate someone you cared about that deeply and appreciated that much? Recently, Kristen turned 40. And in our household, we live by the standard that, hey, we would rather over-celebrate and express our love to those in our life than under-express it. Kristen is the, the standard bearer in this, but when it came to her birthday, me and the kids got to plan a party for her, and we went nuts. All the details, planned it out, it was amazing. I mean, check out this balloon arch we put together. Kristen's favorite color is purple, we had the lights and the numbers, it was awesome. Called friends, and friends came in from out of town, and my kids and I got to emcee the party. It was awesome. We played games and did skits, and here's a picture of some of them acting out a pirate scene. I even had one of my buddies, Juice, who's a comedian, come into town and tell jokes. And then some of my closest friends on the planet blessed us with music. Found a bakery here in town to customize some cookies. So we had Team Johnson and Kristen and cookies with the letter K on them. And my favorite part of the entire party was at the end, my kids got to pray a blessing over their mom. And why did we do it? Also, we could sit back and see this. See joy and smile on the face of somebody we absolutely cherish. Now, I'm guessing some of you are thinking, that seems a little overboard. It's a little extra. And Kristen would agree with you. Much of what we did made Kristen feel extremely uncomfortable. Kristen doesn't need any of this. But I find as a clumsy husband who at times struggles to really articulate and express my feelings and my thoughts and how much I love and respect and appreciate this woman, I need all the things. I need the Mexican food that she loves and I need to make sure her favorite colors are on display. I need the cookies because homegirl has a sweet tooth and the music has to be on point and the friends in the room all to help me express to this woman how much I love you. So how would you actually celebrate the birthday of somebody you care so deeply about, someone you respect and adore. If I'm throwing Jesus' party, there's no doubt about it, it's a dinner party. Jesus loves a good dinner party. In fact, this was something that the religious folks always critiqued him about. Jesus never turned down a good invitation to a party. If it's my party and I'm planning, I'm lining up a swanky loft somewhere downtown. The environment has to be right. The mood has to feel right. I wanna be in a good space. 
And if it's gonna be a good party, there has to be gifts. And the best gifts are thoughtful gifts. The first gift I would get Jesus would be an inside joke. Part of the tension in my relationship with him is something to do with his timing. I don't know about you, but God's perfect timing is a struggle for me. And it never seems to fail. He always wants to wake me up at 3 a.m. to talk to me about my sermon. So I would get him a world clock. <laughs> Lord, it's apparent that right now you're focused in on Hong Kong. You should know I'm in what is called Eastern time zone in America. If you could just wait until I'm awake, I'd love to have this conversation with you. I'd get him this. I would for sure get him a pair of shoes. One of my favorite gifts to buy people is shoes, and they have to have meaning behind it. So for example, at Kristen's party, Kristen uh, brings out the best in me. So much so, I think she thinks her life purpose is to max me out, which stresses me out. So I got her a pair of purple Nike Air Maxes for the person who is maxing me out. When Pastor Steve had a birthday, if you're new to Northview, you should know we just celebrated the retirement of our legendary pastor, Pastor Steve, after 23 years. And when it was his birthday, Michael Jordan had released a line of shoes. He dedicated each shoe to someone different in his life. He had one to his brother Larry, his mom and his dad, even his coach, Dean Smith. So I bought him this pair of shoes. They're black and white Jordans, dedicated to Dean Smith. And on the tongue it said, Dear coach, I said, happy birthday, sir. Thanks for, thanks for being my coach. Thanks for being my mentor. If I were buying Jesus shoes, I'd get him some Allen Iversons. <laughs> Allen Iverson came out of Georgetown. He was the number one draft pick, an undersized guard with a lot of injuries and a pretty sketchy past. So there's a lot of doubters. So his first signature shoe was called The Question, which my goodness, I don't know what your journey into the faith has been like, but I've had to overcome a lot of questions and skepticism, and I've projected a lot of suspicion at God. But then Allen Iverson proved to be a pretty good ball player. So his next shoe was called The Answer. In fact, that became his nickname for the rest of his career. That's the shoe I'd get Jesus. Thanks for putting up with all my questions you truly are the answer to most of my issues. I love this. I would definitely get them one of those annoying gifts, the type of gifts where they look at it and they're like, did you seriously get me this? The type of gift that they know they can't give to somebody else, that they always have to hold on to it so it just sits there in their closet and stares at them every day. When I was in college, me and my teammates decided to get on board with the party MTV was having in Florida. Back in the day, college students would flood Florida and we made our way to Panama City Beach. And then I came walking out of a club in rare form. My goodness, you should have seen your pastor then. <laughs> On the street corner is a white van and a guy sticks his head out the window and says, hey, anyone looking for a free ride? Which me and my teammates were. We jump in the car and come to find out these were Christian students from Eastern Michigan University. And while living recklessly, not pursuing God, in fact, running in the opposite direction, I bumped into Jesus in Panama City Beach. I would for sure get him a hoodie. <laughs> Spring break nights, Panama City. I think he'd wear it too. 
And lastly, I gave him a practical gift. I'd get him some hand sanitizer. <laughs> Sir, every single year when we gather to celebrate Christmas, there's a lot of new people who want to get to meet you. And I'm guessing most of them would like to shake your hand. Here's some hand sanitizer. But here's the deal. If you've ever been to a party and if it's ever done right, at the end of the party, somebody with the audacity and the courage calls the party to attention. Hey, everyone, go ahead and turn down the music. Everyone, come on over here. Try to quiet down. I got something to say. Someone, the obnoxious person in the back yells out, louder for the people in the back, right? So then you have to go get the chair and stand up so everybody can see you. Stand up so everyone can hear you. Hey, tonight's been great. The music, the food, the comedy, the friends, the games. But I would be remiss not to make a toast to my guy, Jesus. Jesus, I have so much to thank you for. We both know I was born legally deaf, had six surgeries on my ears, went through 19 years of speech therapy, and then one day, you miraculously healed me. And now I get to speak for a living. That's pretty awesome, and I appreciate that. I also want to thank you for your patience. Remember that time in college when I got mad at you? Decided I didn't want anything to do with you? In fact, I started identifying myself as an atheist. You remember those courses I enrolled in? All those anti-religion courses and all the books that I read to, to generate my venom and my, my frustration with you? But you were patient. And when I finally came to my senses, you were there to welcome me back in. I also wanna thank you for that time you firmly nudged me in the hallway. Little did I know that the person I was bumping into would become my wife. Sir, you truly are the ultimate wingman. <laughs> and we both know, I struggle with some self-doubt. Insecurity's been a, a common acquaintance in my life. And your belief in me, though it seems unwarranted, I just want you to know, sir, it's greatly appreciated. In fact, your recent endorsement of me that got me this new job is something I'll forever be grateful for. So friends, can you raise a glass and toast to my friend, my confidant, Jesus. How would you toast him? Sir, happy birthday. I can't wait to see how you make this next year your best year yet. I don't know what Christmas means to you. But it means the world to me. Nobody has had a bigger impact in my life. Nobody has helped me discover who I am than Jesus. There's no person or source that has offered me more wisdom than Jesus. Nobody has instilled more peace into my anxious heart than him. Nobody has been a more dependable friend and an encouragement. No one has been more forgiving in all the times I've made mistakes. Nobody has been more faithfully strong 
in the times when I'm weak. Today's my Savior's birthday. And I think that's a big deal. And church, here's the deal. He is the greatest gift you'll ever receive. He's certainly the longest lasting. He's the only gift you can enjoy in eternity. He's certainly the most practical. You can benefit from him every day of your life. And he is without a doubt the most expensive. No gift you'll receive this year or any years moving forward will cost somebody their life. But the greatest gift ever, it's not found under the tree. The greatest gift ever hung upon a tree. See, most people, when they think of Jesus, they think of the cradle. But guys, he didn't stay in the cradle. Eventually, he picked up the cross and he marched up a hill and he voluntarily allowed people to execute him. Was buried in a tomb and resurrected three days later. So no, yes, he was in the cradle. Yes, he bore the cross, but now he wears the crown. And this is King Jesus, the savior of the world, the greatest gift you could ever see, high and lifted up, who deserves our full surrender and adoration, amen.